Good morning. Good to see you guys here this morning. Uh, normally, it's, uh, you know, you start off with something light, and you kind of put everybody's defenses down and just kind of get them into the mood. But we're going we're gonna to start off a little serious, and, and I think it's important to, to, to set us up for what we're going to be talking about um, throughout this series. But um, let, let me just come out and say it. Uh, often, people who make some sort of claim to Christianity uh, don't necessarily have a life that reflects that claim. And there could be a lot of reasons for that, right? And maybe even a lot of valid reasons. For example, a person could uh, say that they're a Christian and, and they started at such a deficit that, you know, years later their life looks, you know, maybe pretty mundane. But if we considered how, uh, how far they've come, we would be like, well, okay, we'll cut, cut them some slack. Um, but I'm not talking to those type of people. I'm, ta- I'm talking to us, the, the types of people like, like we are that... that should be a lot further along than we are. Um, and maybe we have the wrong moral expectation sometimes for ourselves. And maybe we're, we're thinking we need to be doing things that, that God really hasn't asked us to do and we're, we're gauging ourselves by that sort of measurement. But, but I'm, not, I'm not talking about that. I, I, I get that there's some, some valid reasons. And maybe I'm being a little judgmental. But I, I just I think to start us off uh, with what we're talking about, a lot of us have made claims to be Christ-like, but our lives don't back it up to the degree that they should. And I think that's fair, and I think we could probably generally agree that that's true. You know, the, oh, sure, there's some quarters of my life I could, I could change. There's some things that I could help. Um, and, and I get that, you know, maybe if we're not being very introspective, we wouldn't consider this. But if we're just taking a moment to think about our lives and to think about the sacrifice that Christ has made, I, don't, I just don't know that for many of us, myself included, that our lives are a good reflection of where we should be. I think that's probably fair to start off, all right? All serious for a second. Uh, so as we dive into this series, I, I think that I want to have that concept in the back of our minds, that, that God has something better for us, that we are not where we should be, and that's okay, because God, through His Spirit, is going to work on our hearts, and He's going to change us. Uh, but we want to start off 2019 like with getting serious about this, getting serious about who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. And I think that this series, I'm, I'm hopeful that it will help. Uh, it's been tremendously valuable to me just in the process of preparing and studying for it. All right, so to, to start us off, um, I'm going to have, I've got some volunteers over here who have um, a little handout. So if you guys don't mind distributing it around the room, um, there, there's a little handout for, for you type A people if you want to follow along and see if I'm actually following my outline. Uh, but it's got some verses, it's got some things on there that I want you to, uh, want you to have so you can give a, a pile of them to different people out there. Um, good job. Service project for the month youth group. All right. So uh, I remember when I was a kid and my dad used to read us books at night before we'd go to bed and just one of my favorite authors as a little kid was a uh, guy by the name of Richard Scarry. Anybody read Richard Scarry books? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, my son reads Richard Scarry books. I got one of his books up here, uh, Cars and Trucks and Things That Go, and Richard Scarry, he, he filled the, the page with all these different pictures, so there's all these wonderful things uh, to look at, but one of the greatest things about Richard Scarry is, especially in some of these books, he would bury a little detail 
in the page that, that you would search for. So as my dad was reading the story of, uh, of Busy Town, I think it's called, uh, there was this little bug called Goldbug in there that you could search for. I got this screenshot right up there. And you could just find him just doing different things on every page. And there was like little Goldbug would pop up. Does anybody else remember this, searching for Goldbug? I love that. I, don't, I couldn't tell you the, like, the narrative of the story, but I remember searching for Goldbug. If you guys are done, that's fine. You can just set them down. If you didn't get one, you want, anybody want to not get one? All right, and if, oh, over here, you got some over here in the corner. You guys are getting better at this every week. All right, so you searched for Goldbug, and, and there was like this theme Richard Scarry kind of had planted throughout his writing, the author had put in his writing, that you kind of could search for, and it would pop up in different places. It wasn't the main part of the story necessarily, but it would pop up, and if you were looking for it, you could see it. And I think what we're going to talk about today, and what we're going to talk about this month, is, is like that to a large degree, that God, there's this narrative thread throughout Scripture that God has planted in His Word, and when we're looking for it, we begin begin to see it. In fact, it just kind of hits us in the face a little bit. Now, you have to be careful if you've been around church very often. There's this thing called proof texting where somebody comes to the Bible with a conclusion that they want to have, and then they just look all over the Bible for verses that kind of maybe marginally support what they're, the point that they're trying to make. And, and we don't want to do that. We want to be careful about that. And that's part of the reason I've given you this handout is because I just want you to see all the different scriptures that, that relate to this point. But we're not going to read all 800 of them. I didn't even put all 800 of them on your page. There's about four that I want to highlight that just give us this idea into what God is kind of doing throughout the narrative of Scripture. And it shows up again and again. It's like little gold bugs showing up on almost every page. You could almost flip your Bible open and just see this thread throughout Scripture. I think it's pretty cool. And, and it's not just like this one. This happens all over Scripture. But the one I want to look at has to do with our hearts. Now, each verse that we're going to read this morning, each, I've got four picked out. It's there on your handout. Each verse represents two things. Number one, it's a pivotal moment in God's interaction with humanity. It's like big moments, big moments that God is doing something. And then the second thing about each of these scriptures is every single one of them represents God's perspective on the matter. We're all, we're all hearing God's point of view. This is God's voice essentially narrated either through a prophet or through Jesus or, or, or whomever else. Jesus, of course, being God. So let's start at the beginning. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord, that's of course Yahweh, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. If you grew up going to Bible class, you'll know that we're talking about the flood story here. Right before God sent the flood to, to wipe away humanity, God was so upset. He had made this amazing creation. He had populated it with all these you know, wonderful plants and trees and animals. And, and it's just beautiful. And then he created humans, and then it just went sideways really quickly. Like humans just very quickly kind of took things in a little bit of a dark direction. It's like when you're, when you're watching a movie and everything seems too happy and you know that something bad's coming. Like he created humans, and all of a sudden, like, uh-oh, here we go. And then it got so bad as time went on that God was just like, we have to start over. This is, this is crazy. People are crazy. We just have to just wipe everything out because he was so upset that the thoughts or the inclination of the thoughts of the human heart, the word inclination and the word thoughts are, are important words uh, in, in our understanding, but of the human heart was only evil all the time. Oof, doesn't sound great. Fast forward about a thousand years and you get to this other moment in human history and it's where God has given his people the Ten Commandments. These are the ten big ones. 
These are the ones that God really wants to bubble up to the surface. These are the ones that God really finds important for people to, to follow. He wants us to follow all of his commandments, but these are, these are pretty significant. They're listed in a couple different places, the Ten Commandments. And the first two, right, don't have any other, love the Lord your God, don't have any other gods. And just like within a few moments, Israel had already violated that. And God was like, what, what in the world are you doing? And Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29 he, this is God saying, man, this is what I want. Because he had come down through Moses, he had come down to the people, and people were like, hey, whatever you want us to do, we'll do. And this is, what the, this is what God says. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep my commandments always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. This is what God wants from his people. The phrase would be, in my mind, contains like a little bit of a hint of disappointment. He knows it's a little foreshadowing. He knows things aren't going to go as well as he would hope. Third verse we want to look at, Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19. So we're trying time travel about 700 years in the future. Ezekiel eleven nineteen, And God's people have just messed things up beyond repair again. God's like, hey, if you keep doing this stuff, if you keep worshiping these idols, I'm going to send this nation and they're just going to wipe you out and take all your children captive. If you keep doing this, and Israel is like, keep doing what? As they were doing all the things God had told them not to do. And finally he sends them. Ezekiel is one of the prophets that was carried off in this, this captivity. And so he, he expresses God's heart and he talks about what's going to happen in the future. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. he goes, I will give them an undivided heart and I will put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. It's a great verse. Another 600 years in the future, Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. We finally get to Jesus here, God on earth. And Jesus quotes the Old Testament prophet Isaiah here, and he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts, they're just, they're far from me. And you can see this idea throughout Scripture over and over and over again that God is interested in people's hearts. He's interested in our hearts. He wants our hearts. Now, this is stereotypical, I get that, but some of the guys in the room are like, oh, great, hearts, you know, like all that fluffy, emotional, whatever. That's the wrong idea you have of heart, first of all. That's not what the biblical idea of heart is, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But God has always wanted this part of us. He's wanted this, 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 this drive and this emotion and this will. He's wanted that part of us. And the, the human heart has always been like kind of off doing our own thing. It's like you as a parent, maybe you sit down and you're trying to have a serious conversation with your child and your child keeps looking off in different directions you're like look at me in the eyes and God's like I want your heart you need to give me your heart and our hearts are just all over the place oh look at that new shiny thing over there that's awesome I like that look at this thing over there I want that God and God's like no 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 I have been asking for your heart for millennia that's what it's always been about it's always been about our hearts it's always been about our hearts. So this is just a small representation of all the verses on the topic. I didn't want to read all of them because I thought, man, you guys would really be bored and we'd be here till next week. But there's, if you want to, it's there on the page. Um, in fact, I threw a little uh, typos in here on the page. If you get bored during the sermon, you just want to look for a few things that are wrong on the, on the page there. I didn't really, actually. Now you're going to look and see if I did. I didn't. I had somebody edit it and make sure it's not there, but uh, no typos. The prize and the problem has always been the human heart. The prize and the problem has always been in the human heart. This is what God has wanted from start to finish. This is what God has wanted from the beginning, and this is what God still wants today. It's the prize that he wants, but it's always been the problem because it's a struggle to give it to him. It's a struggle to focus on him. It's a struggle to desire. We want to want God, but we don't want God. It's a struggle. The prize and the problem has always been the human heart. All right, so deep breath. 
What do we mean by heart when we're talking about the heart? Because a lot of us, our assumptions are like, oh, that's just like romantic love songs, romantic comedies. That's what it's all, it's all about, like getting, you know, people to cry. It's engaging the emotions. What do we mean by heart? Well, that's not the biblical idea of heart at all. In fact, fun little tidbit that you can Google if you want right now, but the Hebrew language does not have a word for brain. It doesn't have a word for brain. Did you know that? It's kind of wild. When you see mind in the Old Testament, by the time they started using Greek, they had a word for brain. But when you see mind in the Old Testament, it's translated, it's literally the word kidneys. Isn't that interesting? So when you say, like when someone says, oh, I was just kind of, you know, going from my gut. I was just, you know, it was instinct. I was thinking with my gut. Well, it comes from the Hebrew. That's why I was thinking with my kidneys. But when they talked about the human heart, they were talking about four different things. The first thing they were talking about, of course, was emotion. We get that. I love you with all my heart. The phrase broken heart is actually originally in the Bible. That's where it comes from. It's emotion. But it's more than that. It's also thought. And when you read like Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, the thoughts, the inclination of the thoughts of the human heart, it's where they did their thinking. It's when you say, what are you thinking in your hearts? Jesus saw, hey, why are those thoughts in your hearts? So it wasn't just emotion, but it was also their thoughts as well. It was also the will, like when you decide I'm going to do this, when you have a drive, when you're going to like make this happen, that happened in the heart. That was where all this action took place. And then, of course, it was physical life too, just, you know, you they knew that it, it was relevant or, or pretty important to your physical life. They understood that as well. So it was these four different things that Hebrews, Hebrew authors were talking about. They were talking about the emotions. They were talking about the thought. They were talking about the will. And they were talking about the life. And so often in Scripture, when you read the heart, it's not just like this emotional thing. It's not just emotions. It's so many things. It's this huge encompassing thing. And that makes sense, right? You can think about like the heart is one of the few organs that you can feel moving around in your body. And when you get excited, it races or it pounds or it hurts hurts when you're sad or you, I mean, you feel it. You understand why they thought that, hey, so much of our physiology happened in the heart. It kind of just makes sense. You understand why the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew mindset was all these different things. So you think with the heart, you feel with the heart, you will with the heart, and then, of course, you live from the heart. All right, that makes sense. Dallas Willard, a great author, wrote that the heart, they understood the heart to be like the executive center of the human life. So everything happens in the heart. So you can see why God wants our hearts. This is where it matters. This is what matters. This is a big deal. So what God is saying he wants from you is he wants your will, your emotion, your thoughts, your life. That's it. That's all God wants from you. No big deal. Sign on the dotted line, folks. So when God says he wants your hearts, that's what he's saying. He's saying, I want every single part of you. I want your thoughts. I want your emotions. I want your drive, your determination, your will. I want your life. That's what God is saying. All God wants is everything. No big deal, right? No big deal. Now, we're not trying to hide the cost of Christianity here. Jesus was very upfront about that. He says, this could cost you your life. You have to take up your cross daily and follow me. He's never been hidden about, it's never been hidden about what Christianity is looking for from us. But you understand that the heart is the command center of the human life. It's why Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, guard your heart above all else, above all else. Guard your heart. From, from, from it come, the, or everything you do rather flows from it. Guard your heart above all else. All right, so that's the heart. Another deep breath. God just wants everything. He just wants everything. This is always, and let me just take a little detour here for a second, but this is why I've always been a little suspicious of the phrase, fake it till you make it. 
especially with regard to Christianity. Now, I know what people are saying. They're saying that sometimes our thoughts and our emotions aren't quite, you know, like you want to do the right thing, but you don't want to do the right thing. You know what I'm talking about? So I understand what they're saying. They're saying do the right thing, anything, even, even if you don't really feel it, fake it till you make it. I get that. But the problem is what God has wanted all along can't be faked. You cannot fake it till you make it because you haven't made it if you're faking it. That's the point. They, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He's saying, don't fake it till you make it. He's saying, make it, right? Just make it. Give him your hearts. Give him everything. Oh, that's, that's easy enough, right? No problem, Patrick. All right, we'll walk out of here and we'll just have given God everything. Here you go, God. It's 2019 now and I'm ready. You are on. Pretty simple, right? No. So how do we transform this thing? All right? So a lot of introduction. But here we want to get into the meat of what God is really talking about. How do we transform our hearts? How do we transform our hearts? I want to show you this awesome thing that I got. Um, my kids have introduced me uh, to these. These are called squishies. Those of you with some middle school and younger kids, you've seen these, right? They're pretty popular. Um, now, uh, it's real complex what this thing does. It's called a squishy because you... Right, squish it. Yeah, it's, yeah, you squish it. Now, this was the closest thing I could get to representing the human heart. It's a strawberry, so don't get too distracted by that. But it kind of looks like a heart, right? You know, this is squishy. So I want this to represent our hearts, right? And this is our, this is our thoughts, this is our emotions, this is our will, this is our life. This represents everything, all right? This squishy here represents everything. Uh, I have, my kids have, have dozens of these around the house, and they're all food for some reason, or most of them are food for some reason. So we have uh, some, some toddlers, and there's bite marks out of, like, the ice cream cone squishy. Like, I can't imagine that tastes good, but they're very realistic looking, as you can imagine, all right? So this is, this is the squishy. They're all the rage in, in, in middle school. All right. So we have these four different parts of the human heart. We've got the emotion, the thought, the will, the life, and, and we have tried to transform our hearts. You have tried to do this. You had New Year's resolutions last year that you broke. You tried to transform yourself in some way, right? You've tried. We've all had these experiences, and maybe we've had varying degrees of success, right? But we have tried to transform, we've tried to change our hearts through willpower, so let me, uh, let me see. I'm going to get a volunteer. Let's see who's not looking. Matthew isn't making eye tack, uh, contact. Come on up, Matthew. Come here. That's what you, what you get for not looking. All right. So Matthew, Matthew is going to represent the will. All right? Right here. You, could have, you have to face everybody. Sorry. Are you nervous? Okay. All right. Matthew works out. He plays, uh, he plays baseball, soccer. Anything else? Nope, that's it. But you work out, right? You do some working out. So Matthew's going to represent our will with these muscles that he has, all right? And Matthew, this is what you're going to do. You are going to try to squish that as small as you can. We're going to try to shape the heart through the will. So squish it as small as you can with all the... All, come on, that is not it. That is terrible. How did your baseball team do this year if that's all the effort you got? All right, come on, squish it. Oh, get in there. Better, 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 better. All right, squish, squish, squish. You're exerting force. You're exerting your will trying to change the human heart. All right, there you go. Now, very good. What happens here? I timed this earlier this week to know it takes about 45 seconds. And then the heart just kind of like goes back into shape. It just regains its normal shape. Have you ever had that experience? Ooh, I'm going to have this new habit. I'm going to do this new thing. I'm going to form this. I saw somebody else doing this, and if they can do it, I can do it. So I'm going to exert my will. Shape, shape, shape. I'm going to exert my will on my heart through willpower, sheer willpower alone. I'm going to change my heart. All right, willpower, willpower. Do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Do not 
do not be greedy, do not lust, do not, you know, have patience. And then pretty soon, before too long, our hearts are right back in the original shape. Willpower alone is not enough to change the human heart. Some of you are thinking like, well, yeah, but I know some people who got into shape, and it's not enough to transform the human heart. It's not enough to transform the human heart. Um, I need someone who represents knowledge. You think you could represent knowledge? Sure. Okay, you got glasses. All right. Matthew's going to represent knowledge. Is that a knock on people with glasses? Sorry about that. I don't wear glasses, so I must be dumb. All right. Matthew, you, you're doing pretty good at school, right? Yeah. You're pretty smart. You get pretty good grades. You have to work for those grades. You know, how was your uh, ACT score? Sure. Don't tell me. I'm just kidding. You don't have to tell me. I'm just kidding. All right. So let's pretend this is knowledge, right? And you thought, you know what? I read this book. I listened to this podcast or I heard this sermon. I'm going to pump information, 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 information. That's going to transform my heart. So let's pump in some information. I'm going to shape my heart through putting in more information. I'm going to challenge myself. I'm going to change myself. I'm going to change what I believe. I'm going to change my thoughts. I'm going to capture my thoughts and it'll change my heart. And pretty soon, right? I mean, you have some books that you were like, oh, I'm going to read this book and it's going to change everything. And you got through the first half of the first chapter and you highlighted some stuff. And you're like, oh, okay. And then your heart is right back where it was again. We cannot change our hearts through information. Now, is willpower a good thing? Sure, yes. Is information a good thing? Sure, yes. How about feeling? What if we just, oh, I'm going to make myself feel the right. You, Matthew is a very emotional Young man, he's going to change the heart. Through I'm going to change the way I feel. I'm going to change how I feel. And we, we exert all this influence on our hearts. And then pretty soon, it just goes back and it takes the original shape. Have, have any, anybody else ever had that experience? Now think about this. This is how I know this is true. Not because Matthew did this. But some of you have been trying to change certain habits for decades. For decades. You know what they are. And you have tried to exert information and you've tried to exert your will, and you've tried to exert your emotions, and you've tried to shape the human heart, and it just hasn't taken. Why is that? Because we cannot will our way to transformation. We cannot information, I know that's not a verb, our way to transformation. We cannot feel our way toward transformation, right? We cannot do those things. Thanks, Matthew. You can have a seat. I appreciate all your help. I'm just going to leave this, leave this up, the, up here. Thoughts alone. In fact, some of you have seen, we've done all these things. Now, let me, just a, a little bit of an aside here. Uh, the tradition of Christianity that we are most familiar with tends to emphasize the thought life. And we want to have lots of Bible studies. And, and, and maybe we bought into the idea that more Bible studies, Sunday morning, Sunday night, small group, I'll have my own personal Bible study, and that will change, that will change, that will change me. More study, more study, more study, more study. And for many of us, we love, I love studies. I love Bible studies, but we cannot information our way to a new heart. We just can't do it. We're suspicious of other uh, groups that are more about chasing the spiritual high, the feeling, right? We, we're suspicious of that, and sometimes rightly so, because sometimes people do chase a spiritual high. And unless the service has just the right balance of emotion, change my human heart, change, and they walk out of the service, you know, just filled like, oh, God, that was awesome. But then their lives don't really change. Why? Because you can't feel your way to a new heart. You can't, you can't feel your way to a new heart. Feelings alone don't have the power to transform 
our hearts. The will alone doesn't have the power to transform our hearts. Thoughts alone doesn't ha- don't have the power to transform our hearts. And to make matters worse, sometimes our hearts are in conflict with themselves. Like sometimes your emotions are pulling one direction, your thoughts are pulling another direction, your will is pulling another direction. Sometimes they're just all over the place. You've experienced that. I've experienced that. Where we're like, we're not unified here. Come on, heart. Get it together. The vernacular we would use today is we would say our heads are in one place and our hearts are in another. But sometimes we're in conflict with ourselves. Man, what is to be done? It feels like, like we are sort of the child in a custody battle and our parents are pulling different directions. How do we transform this thing? How do we do it? How do we do it? I want you to go back to the book of Ezekiel chapter 11 verse 19. Book of Ezekiel chapter 11. I, I, I think this is such a beautiful passage. And just for the the few minutes that we have left, we're going to explore this verse in just a little bit of depth because I think it's so meaningful, so powerful. He starts off by saying, this is the prophet Ezekiel talking about a day in the future. And and I, I believe we're living in that day. But he says, I will give them, this is God speaking. The Lord says, I will give them an undivided heart. Imagine if your thoughts and your will and your emotions were all pulling in the same direction. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't you love that? I will give them an undivided heart. Who's, who's the agent of change? God. I will give them an undivided heart. And I will put in a new, I, I, I will put in a new spirit. The ancient Hebrew doesn't have any capitalization, so translators are just making guesses as to whether or not S's and word spirits like, should be capitalized. And I think, I think here it could be. I think you could make a case that the S could be capitalized. You could be talking about the Holy Spirit here. I will put a new spirit in them. And he says, I will remove their heart of stone. He calls it a heart of stone, but, you know, the message translation. I will remove the heart of squishy that's in them, that just we keep trying to mold it and change it and do something about it. I will remove that, that heart that cannot be influenced by the will alone, by feelings alone, by thoughts alone. Don't get me wrong. If somebody is walking away from today hearing that we don't need to study or we we don't need to, to, to be determined or we don't need to you know, do any of those. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying those things are good, but those things are not sufficient to transform our human hearts. He goes, I will remove that heart of stone and I will put in a heart of flesh. And then he says in verse 20, then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I think this passage is beautiful and hopeful because I can speak from experience, folks, where I have, my heart has been in the wrong place and desired the wrong things and chased after the wrong things. I, I know how that feels. I know how that feels to try to change this, like get it together heart, and you just can't. And God says you don't have to because I will transform your heart. I will remove the heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. This is good news, folks. What he's saying is all you have to do is surrender to me. But we're fighting it. We're fighting the work of the Spirit on our hearts. We're fighting the transformation of the Spirit on our hearts. The simple message is that we've messed things up beyond our ability to repair them. We cannot fix them on our own and it can't be fixed on our own. I think heart surgery is a perfect illustration of this. I've never had heart surgery. I don't want to have heart surgery. Some of you have. My, my dad has. I can't imagine what it's like. But imagine having a heart transplant surgery. And if you can imagine that uh, because it's happened to you, you can tell me about the details later. But imagine that. There's nothing you can do. If your heart is done for, if your heart is like, hey, man, I've, 
I have, you know, pounded all the beats that I can pound. That's it. We're at, I'm done. It's failing. It's time. You got to get a new heart. And that doctor says, we got to put you on the transplant list. And you're like, <laughs> I mean, what a weird dilemma to be in where you're, you're wanting a new heart. And so you almost have to wish for someone to, to life to end tragically. How awful would that be that you have to wish for someone else to die a tragic death so your heart can be transformed? But there's nothing you can do if your heart is broken, physically broken, you cannot study your way to a healthy heart. All that stuff probably should have been done in the past, right? You can't study. You can't go buy books about the human heart and say, okay, my heart's failing. I need to have a new heart. Now I'm just going to really study, 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 study. I'm going to change my beliefs. I'm going to change my thoughts. It can't happen. No, you can't will your way to a healthier heart. This is what I would do because I don't like going to the doctor pretty stereotypical that way. I'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'll just like, oh, be better. You cannot will your way to a healthy heart if your heart is failing. You cannot think. You cannot feel. You cannot will your way to a healthy heart. The only thing you could do is go to that surgeon and lie down on that table and have someone open up your chest cavity and take out the old broken thing that isn't working and put in something new. And even though that transformation, as as wonderful as it is, a tragedy had to occur for you to receive that heart. Someone had to die for your heart to be transformed. The The only path forward for us is that we know that Jesus Christ had to suffer and die so that God could give us a new heart. And it's not an overnight process. You know that. We, we all know that. You're not going to wake up tomorrow saying, you know, hey, God, I repent and, and just change. It's, it's a process that takes time. There's a recovery period as you get that new heart and your new heart has to figure out how to work and do and figure this thing out, this whole life of spirituality and discipleship out. But it's so beautiful to read through Isaiah, or read through Ezekiel rather. And, and Ezekiel mentioned this a couple times in, 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 in his book. But it's so beautiful to think about like God will take out our heart of flesh and give us, or excuse me, a heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. It's just such a simple message. David got it. It's the prayer that... that uh, Ben read during the communion, Psalm 51, verse 10, create in me a pure heart, God. And so all we can do, and this is my message to you this morning, that all you can do is surrender. And that's not nothing. Don't misunderstand that for nothing. But all you can do is surrender and give your heart to God and say, God, please change my heart. Please change me. Our only hope for transformation is to surrender our hearts to God. So this is my challenge. This is the prayer I've been praying as I've studied through this. Oh, really two, two prayers. God, I surrender my heart. God, change my heart. This is simple and complex as that. And it will take you the rest of your life to work through everything that God is doing through that. God, I surrender my heart. God, change my heart. We've got a whole series we're going to talk about. Next week we're going to talk about our hearts and sometimes the darkness that is in them. Sounds fun. I know you're all going to want to come back for that, right? And we're going to talk uh, later about what it means to have a soft heart, what it means because, you know, you may have even been sitting here this morning thinking like, nah, I'm good. I don't need that. Don't need that. What it means to have a soft heart. And then finally, in the last message of this series, we're going to talk about what Solomon meant when he talked about in Proverbs uh, chapter 4, verse 23, to guard your heart, what that means to protect this thing that God has done in you. 
So I, so I appreciate you giving us a little time to start off and dig into the scriptures to find that narrative thread of scripture where he talks again and again and again about the heart. But my challenge, my prayer, my hope for us as a church is that we'd surrender our hearts to God and God would transform us because we can't study our way, we can't feel our way, we can't will our way. It can only be done with, with God. Let's do all those things. Let's study, let's feel, let's will but let's, God, let's let God transform our hearts. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful to be able to be here this morning. God, I know that what we're talking about may feel heavy for some people. They may have stuff in their heart that has just been locked up and locked down for years. But God, I pray that through the power and the working of your spirit in us, in our hearts, that you would break those walls down. God, that we would be able to dig up those things that we've held back, that we'd be able to offer you our hearts, that we'd be able to repent of the things that we've had going on in our lives, Lord. Me included, I offer my repentance to you. Lord, you know my heart. You know the things that I've done. But God, I pray that as we, we offer you our hearts, Lord, we begin to experience the transformation of the Spirit. We thank you. We thank you for those promises. We thank you for the words in Isaiah that you will take out this heart of stone and you will give us a heart of flesh, Lord. We pray that you would do that in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>